0: I was thinking about renunciation because here it is Ash Wednesday, and um maybe this would, I, at one point I had the thought I have to vow to celebrate every moment, not just be present but celebrate it you know mm-hmm. uh and you know it comes up immediately celebrate what the fact that someone that I know and care a lot about is at this moment quite ill and in the hospital i A friend of mine died two weeks ago today. I miss her a lot. What to celebrate, to celebrate the fact that we have the capacity to love each other as much as we do while we're here, maybe to find something to pull up the heart, to say, you know, it's incredible to be a human being and have a life. And the vow is not to feel that all the time, but to try to feel that all the time, or to try to get back on the track of remembering that that's a feelable thing as a human being, and not to miss a moment of celebrating. How to get up to there from, from uh, Ash Wednesday and being a renunciate. When I, not long into my own practice, uh, when I really began to enjoy it, when I really began to feel good sitting and had some moments of really feeling that my mind could really relax In the middle of a life, it was a a stunning piece of news to me that I did not need to be pleased in order to be content, which is really the essence of what the Buddha taught, that life is what it is and that it would be possible to not suffer in the middle of it, that you could have such clear understanding that it is what it is because of myriad forces, it comes and goes which when it's coming and it's going and it's you, isn't so easy to be with, that you could that you could have a mind that wasn't pleased with what was happening but wasn't fighting with what was happening. That peace of mind was really a possibility. I thought about it several times this week, the, the phrase peace of mind, because as I was driving back and forth, up and down from Sonoma, I'd make several trips this week, so I've been in my car a lot, I've been listening to um, more radio than normal. And twice, in two different ads, I heard the promise that if I, did such a, if I did what they said I should do and bought what they said I should buy, I would have peace of mind. For you know. And one of them was if I called them this week when there's a 20% discount and got, and got all the plumbing in my house replaced with copper t- pipes instead of whatever it is that I have, that I would have peace of mind forever. I would never have to worry. That my I, I would never have to worry that my pipes would be clogged again. And so far, I didn't have that worry. So that, you know, that
1: and
0: and the other one was for life insurance. You know, they, I wouldn't have to worry. They said, and you know, and a certain certain kind of life insurance, which in the event that you die. Your heirs can somehow get back your your, uh, premiums or a certain amount of them in the event that I die, as if it's a possibility that I won't, you know. In the event that you can have peace of mind about your heirs being cared for. So I think about that that really what everybody wants is peace of mind, and you can sell practically anything if if you promise people peace of mind. That's like the key word, peace of mind. You can buy tea that says, you know, peace of mind. or um. So when I first began to realize that I could have peace of mind, I would give myself little tests. I'd be sitting on retreat. Actually, this is mostly in Yucca Valley. I remember it because I did a lot of my early practice there. I'd be sitting and I'd feel really mind at ease. Not asleep, but mind at ease. And I'd say, well, I'll give myself a little test now. Just see how at ease it is. I would bring up some issue in my life that was a, a, a worrisome issue or an issue that normally would catch my mind and it would run off and start worrying. So at the time, my youngest daughter uh, was a teenager and she had um, she had asthma as a teenager. It's passed, but at the time it was scary. She'd have attacks and... So I, would, so I would bring up the thought, I'd say, well, she's in uh, Mexico on a trip now. What if, because a worry thought is always what if, what if she didn't bring her asthma medicine? So that's a thought that normally could trigger a big flurry of worry. And, and I would watch my mind say that I could bring up that worry and it would sit there and it'd say, well, if she didn't bring her asthma medicine, they got pharmacies in Mexico. And uh, besides, she probably did bring her uh, medicine with her. And besides, something else could happen to her. You know, I'm not in charge of every... I can't supervise every street crossing in her entire life. And, you know, the mind, the mind when it's relaxed, remembers it's a fundamental wisdom, you know. One of the things I said earlier before we started to sit is I'm pretty sure someday we're going to say this is all so much simpler than we thought, that a mind relaxed when we say wisdom arises... The wisdom isn't going to be some esoteric, tremendous, deep, unknown, heretofore-not-seen wisdom. It's going to be something like things happen in life to everybody, and who knows why, you know. That the, 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 that the numbers of causes and conditions that have to happen for anything wonderful and desirable or not wonderful and undesirable to happen are so myriad That when anything happens, you have to think, wow, the karma of this is incredible. You miss your plane, you sit down on the next, and you feel annoyed, and you sit down on the next plane because you're going to miss your job interview. And you sit down on the next plane, and you meet the person who's going to be your partner for the rest of your life. How do you know? You you really don't ever know, good or bad. Oh, this is a good thing. Oh, this is a bad thing. You You get detained somewhere, you don't know that... You miss the car crash that's in the highway. You don't know anything. Any day that you come home in one piece at the end of the day, still in health, all you know is that you missed all the opportunities for not coming home that day. You know, that there's actually um, one of the blessings that I know as a Jew is you make a blessing at the arrival of a new holiday on the new year or on on, on, on specific major holidays of the year, a whole family, a clan gathers together and you say, and thank goodness, thank God actually, that we've all arrived at this place in health and kept in life and we're able to be here for this new season, recognizing that it's a miracle that that's happened, that that many people have managed to be there. And I decided I remembered as a teenager that we probably ought to say that every night when we got home for dinner. You know, and everybody got there from their various places during the day. But the business of vowing, when I started to re- realize that my mind could actually be quiet and not uh, leap up and turn on the jets and the whirlpool, and you know, leave it quiet, uh, I began to think I really have to meditate all the time. And not only that, I have to become a monk, I have to become a nun. Because clearly, meditation is what does it for you, and a nun's life is dedicated to meditation. And I used to have fantasies about taking robes. I'd be sitting in, or i had dreams about taking robes. First of all, it's lovely. It's a romantic notion, you know. It's like, I don't know, maybe other people don't dream. But anybody else ever had a dream about, yeah. I think it's, you know, there's a... Uh, there, there, in some of us, there's a nun gene, you know. That uh, <laughs> I, th- I think so. I think so. I actually remember thinking that um, when I first went over to the campus, at, hmm? Sorry. No, go ahead. What?
1: I was just saying, Frank just asked me if I ever wanted to be a nun, and I said yes. That I was a I was a true believer, and that they had gotten me so young that I bought the whole story.
0: Yeah. Did you become a nun? No. Huh? no uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, You know, I like monasteries, I like convents, I like the quiet, um, you know, it seemed to me at the time I like, you know, when I first began to do retreats and I'd have those thoughts, I think that's so, you know, where did that thought come from? At that point I had been married for a long time, I had four children. Uh, it was unlikely that I could uh, you know, take up robes, and besides i 'm a jew and we don 't even have <laughs> a uh, lineage of monastics, so it just wouldn 't work for me in this lifetime but that that uh, gene of uh, the gene of living a simple life quietly and devoting myself to really uh, uh, cultivating that equanimity of mind in which. I could really countenance the world and feel for it, but uh, somehow keep my balance in it, Uh, not be afraid, and also not be mad at it. It seems to me that that's really the important point, not be mad at it because it's the way it is. That's actually what I've been thinking about in terms of um, renouncing. I've been thinking of renouncing contention like renouncing being mad that things aren't the way I'd like them to be or that I am not the way I'd like myself to be. Um, You know, I couldn't be better, really. I'm trying the best I can, and I can't fix the world. I mean, it's doing what it's doing. I can try to do what I can on behalf of the world, and I certainly am, but to do it without being mad at it. I know all the times we've talked about uh, uh, you know, even keeping it out of politics. Uh, how to be politically active without making the other people the enemy? You know, they're just people with different ideas. So I would like to be able to say my ideas. Uh, these are my ideas, and now I'll listen to your ideas. I'd even like to listen with an open mind. I mean, it'd be great if I could. Sometimes I can do it. Sometimes when I listen with an open mind, and I think to myself, maybe they're right. It's a great relief to me, because in that moment I'm not busy defending my view that they're wrong. And I, you know, since my view is not prevailing at this point, it would be better if the other people's view was right. I, you know, and it's a it's a sort of a bizarre way to. But I actually realize that when I'm not sure, I'm better off. because I don't know. Maybe it's another way. I want to really. Uh, be able to notice, and this is, the, this is the point that came to me as I was driving here this morning. I want to notice the, our urge in the mind to go down that wrong street and whiz up the mind. I'll just be mad at this now. I'll just be indignant about this. I'll just um, fret about this. The, the The movement of the mind to get off its seat of equanimity where it says, okay, things are like this. What should I do? And to renounce that impulse. That's really, it's really, it's a vow to meditate. It's a, but it's not a vow to live home or to take robes it's a, or to stop living in the world. It's a vow not to whiz myself up if I can catch myself about to do it. Let me see if I can think of an example of catching myself on the way to do it. There's so many examples. Maybe you can think of one where somebody tells you, did you read so-and-so said about this and this, you know? And the mind just goes, yeah, yeah, we could get like in a little uh, indignant about that. There was an, a cartoon I read this uh, week of a woman sitting with a grumpy face looking out a window. And uh, our, I suppose it's her husband, it's a man, and they're in the house says over her shoulder saying, how are you coming with your snit? You know. <laughs> but, so uh, you know, how to get over this, how to notice that I'm in a snit and say, you know, I do not have to be in a snit about this. You know, I can be concerned about this, but not in a snit about it. You know, they're, they're renouncing snits somehow. <laughs> because really a snit is I am mad at the world because it's not going my way, which is another way to say, or I'm mad at you because you're not doing what I want you to do. So I'll just be mad at it, as if it's coming to me that it should be my way, mm-hmm. and that I and that I have a right to be mad until it does. First of all, it's coercive. You know, anybody here who has done the snip routine, <laughs> you know, we, you know, I certainly know. Anybody here knows the snip routine, <laughs> I, <laughs> otherwise known as the pout routine. <laughs> it's it's not nice. It's really mean. But, you know, it's not as obviously mean as shouting at people or being vile in what you say, but it's a sneaky way of being mean. And how to renounce that and replace it with goodwill is, I think, the essence of practice about everything with a person, with a community, with colleagues, with your partner, with the world, with your body. How not to be mad at it because it doesn't behave in the way that you wanted it to. It's disappointing. You know, we we're expecting for it to continue to behave itself, you know, until the end. But and it does. Be it behaves well enough until the end, but then it breaks down. It's it's, it's a machine. It's not an infinite thing. It can't be different. And it yes. Ah. <laughs> so this is it. Yeah. No. 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 This is terrific. What's your name? Andrea, snit happens exactly, this is exactly true. So I this was my very big, this is my huge insight this morning. Be a great bumper sticker, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is my great insight this morning. I have been thinking about and talking about here the three middle parts of the Eightfold Path. Let's do a little Buddhism here because I, wanna, I want you to have a, a, a piece of homework in this this morning. Let's let's do a momentary review of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is right action, right speech, right livelihood, the morality program to really make a life that uh, supports uh, a mind at ease, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, which are really the heart of the path. They're the middle of the path, and they are the mind training aspects of the path. Uh, which lead to right understanding and right aspiration, right understanding being really seeing clearly that the suffering is contention i mean if he the, the, it, the, it comes down as easy as if you fight with life, life wins I mean we are not in charge, and the only way to be at ease is to say, "I do the best I can and I take what I got you know that anything else we we're not in charge. I do everything that I can in my life, in my family, with with, with the people I work with, with the world, with where I can make a difference. I am hoping I am making a difference for the good, but I am definitely not in charge. And to be able to see that and to be able to see that not in charge means that I I don't have to be mad that it's not going my way. It's going the way that there are causes and conditions for it to go. I want to be one of the causes, one of the 6.3 billion causes that's causing it to go the way it is, so I can contribute that much to it. But I don't have to fight with it. for being. I don't have to be mad at it for being that way. I don't have to be mad at myself for not having changed the world. I don't have to be mad at myself for not having changed myself totally. You know, we think about all these years of spiritual practice. I don't know what I thought when I began my practice. Um, I probably imagined that my mind would be more free of afflictive emotions more of the time. It is freer, uh, and it's freer sooner. But Andrea said, snit happens. It does. Mm -hmm. Snit happens, uh, lust happens, um, dismay happens... Worry happens, despair happens, grief happens, everything happens. Um, And we don't plan for them to happen, they just happen. And they happen because we have nervous systems, we have neurology, and we were engaged in our lives. I actually had the thought, maybe, and and the worry, when I began my practice, that my mind was smoothing out, kind of like, um, oh... Uh, that equanimity meant something like everything is okay, and that I wouldn't be too moved by things, and or as moved as I was. I wouldn't be as upset or as frightened or as. But I'm a passionate person, and actually, I was worried that that might happen to me. On the one hand, I wanted it to happen to me because I had a great deal of alarm and more than I want, more worrying than I wanted, which is now less. But I also had the worry I had the concern that if the worrying went away everything went away and that the passion would go away and that it'd be all the same to me. So I wanted it to happen, but I was afraid it would happen. I actually think equanimity has nothing to do with passion going away. I think it actually allows for passion to be even bigger. I want I am happy when things go well in the world, when I hear good news, when someone calls and says, you know, my my daughter who's been having fertility problems for seven years is pregnant. I rejoice for her. I rejoice for the daughter. Uh, somebody, my my friend sends me an email and says Bianca came through her surgery. She's going to come home this Friday. I feel excited for them. I want to feel excited. I get another email about another friend who's had a quite devastating kind of a surgery. I feel really sad for her and for everybody because, because I love her. As long as my love machine is operating. I'm going to feel excited when things go well, and I'm going to feel sad when things don't go well, and I don't want it another way. I want to have the mind that's going to be able to hold it. You know, on some days, by the end of the day, I feel like that's enough news, you know? At this point, maybe just let's not check the email again. Actually, I was thinking about email. Email is a really hard addition to uh, a life, honestly. Honestly. There's too much news too fast on the email. Uh, too fast. You read one, Oh, good. Oh, terrible. Oh, good. Oh, terrible. You don't have any time <laughs> for the mind to. No, seriously. Yeah. Except my friend Donald, has a ver- who teaches here when I'm not here. Did, do- did Donald teach you his email practice? The email practice is very good. You, may, you start the email, you boot up, and you say to yourself, may I now do this email? with love in my heart and with good wishes for every piece of news that I now discover. And he does it before every new email. He pauses, he makes a wish that his response to this will be grounded in equanimity and then be able to respond with full heart. And then he reads the email. I think it's a great way. I mean, if you're going to do email, which we are all doing, I think that's a good way to do it. Because otherwise, at the end of it, I or in the middle of it I feel overwhelmed. There's too much news of what's up and down and up and down. I think the heart does not have time to accommodate it. And and of course it's what we've got. You know, I don't wanna sound like we should go back to living in remote villages with no telephones. Uh but I you know, sometimes I wonder about that the our neurology is not strong for so much news and twenty four seven Satellite TV, so know what's going on all over the world. I wonder if our machinery is really on overload and we don't know it. Probably. So what I really am trying to renounce when I can is the gratuitous picking up of something and tying it into a bigger knot than what it is. That's what I'm trying to... Trying to renounce contention. I would like my mind to meet every moment. Well, maybe like Donald's email. May I meet this moment openly with kindness in my heart? Then I could do a lot of email and read the newspaper and even watch the television if I wanted to. If I could meet that moment clearly. And for each of us, it will be different. How much, you know? You know, there are. I'm sure people who can do tremendous amounts of inputs of stimuli. I find. I, I think we're all different. We know this about babies. Anybody here ever had a baby that was uh, overwhelmed by stimuli easily? Well, it's a couple of my grandchildren had that. That you know, things like a vacuum cleaner upsets them tremendously, or um, doorbell ringing. People have different nervous systems. I overwhelm quite easily with lots of stimuli. Everybody's got a different nervous system. So there isn't a formula for how to do it. Uh, But I think about it a lot when I think about the fifth precept about uh, vowing not to intoxicate my mind in a way that leads to heedlessness. If I know that such and so much stimuli makes me confused, then it's my business to know when to stop. You know, so I don't—I don't have the genes that cause me to worry about substance abuse, because I, and mostly I think that's genetically based. But I could, you know, abuse the email or too much CNN or too much telephone, I suppose. So let's go back to the vow. The vow is related to the second of the four noble truths. Did we finish the Eightfold Path? Right understanding that things are the way they are, and right aspiration is the eighth, that, that, that uh, seeing how this life is really fraught with difficulty for everyone. You know, when we, listen, when we say what's in our heart at the end of the time that we're sitting, I think that is always for me, I learn the most in that five minutes, I think, than I do always in the whole time that we sit, because I listen to what people, you know, what's in people's lives and minds, and I realize all the things that can happen to people, this can happen and that can happen and this can happen, all the things that happen with our bodies, all the things that break our hearts or confuse our minds. So many ways to be in pain. If I listen to that, such a sense that just being a person, without a complication of being a person in poverty or a person living in a war zone or a person who is being discriminated against for any reason of their person, who they are or who their parents were or whatever, that just being a person is such a hard thing to do because something or other is gonna to happen to you or to somebody else. I remember, um, I'm sure I told you last week that one of the things that Martha and I talked about all through her illness, she said, is every once in a while, I would think to myself, she said, I have this moment where I'd really be mad that I had pancreas cancer and I would think to myself, why me? And then she said, after a while, I would think to myself, why not me? You know, it's one of those things that people get. Everything is, why not me? You know? So when our mind is quiet, we think, why not me? But we don't think, why not me? Okay, it's fine. or I, you know, We're not pleased with it. But the mind in that moment isn't mad at it. Why not me? It's one of the things that happens to people. How can I take care of it? So it seems to me that that clear understanding... Everything happens to everybody, really. That's the message that I get when we sit here. We listen to the prayers for people. Everything happens to everybody. Some really um, desirable and, oh, good, this is happening. Oh, Michael's got triplets now. Great. And other people dying. Okay. Uh, Everything happens to everybody. And on addition, but then the corollary to that always seems to me so clearly... Therefore, since everything happens to everybody, and in the end, every, every, every life is finite, to use every moment for anything other than relating and caring and an appreciation and a friendship and in love and compassion seems such a terrible waste of a moment to add any extra pain into a situation that is by its very nature painful before you complicate it with greed, hatred, and delusion. To complicate it with greed, hatred, and delusion. So I really think the big renounce is renouncing greed, hatred, and delusion. So here's a story that I've been thinking about this morning. Am I going to do it? Yes. I I remember that last week I said, um, I wanted to talk about the paramitas, about the, ten qualities of heart that the Buddha is said to have developed in previous lifetimes before he had that lifetime as Siddhartha Gautama and that prepared him, really made him eligible, uh, so clarified his mind and heart that in that moment under the bow tree he really understood irrevocably that that, uh, the craving to have things different from how they are because they can't be, is the cause of suffering, and that we could decondition the mind from that craving, which is really the second and the third of the Four Noble Truths, which is his great insight, that life is challenging, as the first life, is difficult, suffering, that it's actually not the life itself, but it's the sense that it should be different that makes it so suffering, that, that is suffering, that we could really condition the mind so that it met the life in a way that didn't fight with it. Said, okay, this isn't what I wanted. I don't like this. I'll do everything I can to take care of this. But I won't complicate it by being mad at it. It's what's happening. What can I do now? And then looking around to see what can I do now. And that the Eightfold Path is the fourth of those four noble truths to say, okay, I can do all of these things. Okay, we start from there. And leave those lists and go to the paramita lists. He cultivated generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, patience, energy, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. And what I have been in the habit of thinking is that all of them, all of them, were generosity in different forms. The first of them is generosity and uh, so you think about generosity giving away things uh, uh, the, the mind freed from the sense that it needs to have something and actually when we think about generosity we usually think of about a tangible thing giving away this or that but I actually think it's a generous thing to give up the need to have things a certain way that's also a generous thing But this morning, when I was thinking about it, oh, so when I was thinking about everything as a permutation of generosity, I thought through all of them and said, well, uh, morality is a permutation of generosity because morality is the gift of safety. When people come into a place where everyone has taken a vow of morality, they feel safe, and that's a gift. When we come on retreat and everybody takes vows, of not touching anything that isn't theirs. We have no locks on the doors up there. People leave their stuff around. No one ever takes anything that's anybody else's. It's a gift to live in a moral community. That renunciation I always thought of as a gift to ourselves. You know, if I renounce uh, a certain kind of um, um, need that's been oppressive to me, if I renounce it, Vigorously enough, and it, and because things after a while, everything is temporal, it stops pulling on me. I will have given myself the gift of temperance. Everyone who's in a in a twelve step program knows that they that that renunciation is actually a gift to themselves. You can give yourself a mind that that stops craving. It's a pleasure to discover that the craving has left. Eventually, the craving will leave. Everything is temporal. That um, patience, by the way, is a gift to everybody who's around you, because if you don't lose your patience when, in fact, everything is going, you come to pick up. I, I always like that you go to pick up your dry cleaning and it's not there, and you don't make a fuss. You say, "Oh, I'm supposed to pick up the sweater. It's Tuesday," and it says sweater isn't there. There is no point to make the fuss, even if your ticket says Tuesday, the sweater will not be there. That's because it says Tuesday. <laughs> And it's such a relief to the dry cleaning workers and everybody else there if you say, I'll come back tomorrow. Everybody relaxes around there. If you are online in a movie or in the bank and you're not tapping your foot and looking around and looking irritable, everybody else calms down. Patience is a gift to everyone. Truthfulness is a gift to everyone. generosity. You tell me, how is truthfulness a gift? People know reliably how to act if they know
1: what reality the reality is, as sure. they get Sure. Sure. Well, it goes along with patience, I was, uh, when you go in and tell the truth, I was uh, brought into a hotel, got the wrong room, and they gave me a much better room than I, I, I was entitled to. went back down and uh, walked up to the person who had done the wrong, room, and I said, listen, I want to talk with you about my room and everybody looked at me <laughs> and was geared up and I said, this is the nicest room I've ever gotten into in my entire life. So I don't yeah. know how I did it, but thank you. And then, the truth is, it was the nicest room that they have ever given me, and the fact that I didn't bring them a hostility, which is what they usually get when someone says that, I could just feel the
0: whole uh-huh. lightness coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: I just came to my mind too and was thinking about truth and I hadn't thought about this before. But just because I've been involved with uh, people I care about recently who have been very sick, it's been really, uh, I think, a gift that when the healthcare professionals tell people exactly how sick they are mm-hmm. in a good way, mm-hmm. you know, tell them what is going to happen and really don't keep anything secret. Because everybody knows when you are keeping a secret. Also lets you know all the options. So here's what I thought. So you get the hang of it. If you take generosity and you go down the list, You can see how every one of them is a permutation of generosity. Loving kindness is a permutation of generosity. You give away any kind of an ill will. Three years ago Tuesday, you said a not nice thing about me. So I don't have to have that in my mind anymore. I can really let that go and have a full heart towards you. I was thinking this morning that you could run them all through the parami of renunciation, that they all of them are permutations of renunciation. You see what I'm saying, meaning? Suppose renunciation were first on the list, and you had to say, okay, how is generosity? How is truthfulness? How is patience? How is What are you renouncing in that moment? I want to tell you one more thing, and then I'm going to tell you to get a partner and do that little list. You know that image of the Buddha that I like to talk about all the time about him? sitting down on the night of his enlightenment and saying, I'm not getting up until I'm enlightened, and then sitting down and through the night being as clear in his understanding as he ever was and getting up in the morning and saying, that's it, standing up in the morning, he's not asleep, standing up in the morning saying, you know, I absolutely have clarity, I understand karma, I understand the cause and the end of suffering. In that moment is a moment of his enlightenment. And I've always told that story with the emphasis on the fact that he sits down with equanimity. His mindfulness is strong. He sees the forces of Mara coming to disturb him. His uh, concentration is so strong that this great field of benevolence is built up around him, and even all the arrows and spears and temptations of Mara, when they touch this great field of benevolence, they all turn into flowers and fall on the floor. Which is a great, wonderful image that we could convert all of this all of the terrible things that fall into our life if our heart was strong enough in its equanimity and clear enough in its equanimity and strong enough in its benevolence that everything that the worst things would be trans transformed into flowers, and I have always understood that is the the how i in my own mind I have seen what counted was the, the force of equanimity and the sort of bulletproof shield, if you will, that he set up around it. And I this morning when I was driving here, I thought, you know what I think it is? I think it was... What do you think I'm going to say? an idea? I think it was his sitting down and saying, I'm not getting up from here until this happens. That I think... That I'm beginning to think... That the, that the vow of, I'm going to do this, that determination, that renouncing failure in this venture, that renouncing the impulse to be moved, that for me, it seems to me that if I keep firmly in my mind the intention not to get caught. In the ignorance that comes from greed, you know, the, not to get caught in the suffering that comes from greed, hatred, and delusion, if I have that as a firm, firm resolve in my mind, it's not that I won't get caught, it's that I won't get caught long. I'll get caught, and soon I'll realize you are going down a road, you don't want to go down, move out of it, and then I can do some concentration exercises, I can breathe. I can be mindful what's really happening with what you're doing, look at the suffering that's involved. But what has to be in place first is the intention to not go down that road. You know how you go home all the time and you know where you're going, you're driving, you're driving, you're driving. If you suddenly found yourself having made a wrong turn and you're on another road, you're driving along so, ah, I'm not supposed to be here, and then you go back to where you are. I think it is knowing where you're going that counts because then you notice when you're not going in the right direction and you get yourself back. I'm beginning to think that that moment of this is where I'm going. It's because I have been thinking about those three path parts of right concentration, right mindfulness, and right effort. I've been thinking that right effort is the undersung hero. When we come on retreat, we teach mindfulness and concentration. We don't talk enough about effort. We say, you know, make an effort, but it's not about making an effort. Right effort is very clearly in the scripture. The effort to cultivate wholesome mind states, to once they're there to keep them in, to notice unwholesome mind states and to put them out. So in the moment that the mind is starting to, you know, start in on a road to indignation, say, wait a minute, don't do that. Don't do that. But I have to have that intention. I am not doing that in there first. I will cultivate, I will take out from my mind and then I'll notice. Do you see what I'm saying? How will I know that I should take a breath and take another breath and take another breath and take a breath and and calm my body, letting my breath out, smile, see what's really happening? How will I know to do that? Unless I've got a tripwire system in place that says, ding dong, you are going down the wrong road, which depends on really right effort. Does that make sense to you? Mm So I'm going to tell you that on this Ash Wednesday, I would like us all to renounce the wrong road. That I'm not going down the wrong road anymore. And, I, you know, we'll blunder. As a matter of fact, here's one more analogy, and then you get a partner. The bridge, to go to my house, I live in northern Sonoma County, and to get home, I have to cross a bridge over the Russian River. That particular bridge <coughs> got destroyed in the in the flood over New Year's so it's going to take a year for the bridge to get rebuilt so I can go home but I have to go by a very long and circuitous detour with a lot of curves in the road and I'm not used to it and in the beginning I had to really watch you know where am I going you know turn here turn there turn here turn there And then you get used to it after a while, and then by by and by, the car goes by itself more or less. But every once in a while you look around and say, wait a minute, am I going in the right place? Oh yeah, there's that signpost, that signpost, that signpost. So I'm thinking about that as an analogy about if you know where you're going, you keep checking. Am I going in the right place? Am I going in the right place? What feels right about this? Uh ah oh yeah. There's the casino. I'm in the right place. Uh, I'm not even happy about the casino, but if I see the casino, I know I'm in the right place. Uh, what are the signposts of knowing that we're in the right place on this road? And I want to I put out that I think the signpost is that our ability to connect with caring intention, with compassion, with friendliness, with appreciation with celebration, when my heart is in working order, I'm going down the right road. It, when it's in connecting order, when it cares about me and it cares about other people and it cares about the world, I'm going down the right road. So this is what I would like you to do. I would like you to be in groups of uh, four or three, so we can have eight groups. Ready, set, go. Uh, okay. 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 As soon as you have a group, as soon as you have a group, one person in the group put up your hand. Okay, here's a group. One, two, any group, any group, any group. It's a five-minute group. We need one more. Okay, Terry, you want to be in their group? They need one more. Oh, you got a group. All right, you're in a group. Okay, you can be in a small, you'd be in a group with these two women over here, three women over there. Be a group of five there you go Shoshana you're in a group of five okay where's a group over here okay you're in a group this is the generosity group okay you're going to be the morality group you're going to be the wisdom group okay where is the patience group okay, okay here's the patience group in front patience energy energy uh, truthfulness you want to be the truthfulness group determination you're the determination group loving kindness okay you're the loving kindness you want to be the equanimity group no 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 you're going to be the equanimity group Edie you're the equanimity group here okay huh you don't have a group oh okay now here's the goal does everybody's group have a name okay you don't have a group okay where is the generosity group? Where is the morality group? Where is the energy group? Where, okay, that's a good group. We can have two separate groups until you need it. Where is the uh, uh, wisdom group? Where is the patience group? Where is the truthfulness group? Determination group? Uh, Loving kindness? Equanimity? Ah. Okay, so Edie, you can join that group in the back and they can be equanimity with you because you've got a little group and you can have a big group back there. Okay. okay. Or, or I could
1: go with this one
0: for four and this one for four. No, but we have enough groups. Now, your thing, well, we don't you don't have a group. We don't have a name. Okay, why don't you also be, why don't you come with Pasquale P- Pascual over here? Generosity. Because be, you do it there and you'll see if you come to the same conclusion. See you and Miriam and Pasquale and Miriam and Liz are generosity and you will also be generosity. What I want you to do is here's my premise. The patience group doesn't have the patience to do this. <laughs> here is the here is my premise. Here is my premise. My premise is that every one of these parameters is a refractive paramita, and if you look through it you can see all the other nine i would like you to say have as your premise that whatever it is generosity energy da, 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 is a permutation of renunciation i'm just saying that as a that's an hypothesis and you see if you can prove it okay it's renunciation in another guise you remember i said Morality was generosity because it's giving the gift of safety. Truthfulness is generosity because it's giving the gift of a level playing field. You're going to say truthfulness is renunciation because it is the giving up of da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? Everybody got it? It's not that hard, and we're not going to give grades, and you have five minutes to do it. Okay? Go.
1: And yeah. love you. I
0: well, one of the things that, um, mm. you catch yourself.
1: Yeah. um, you Yeah I'm
0: aware that everybody seems to have something to say, and
1: uh, yeah,
0: I'm always sorry that I don't re- I don't watch the clock better, and we start talking to each other earlier, because it's better when people talk to each other. Next week earlier. How about one person from each group say something about what that group thought? Who wants to be, who wants to, who wants to say uh, a little brief? You, don't, you can either say a summary of what you said or how it was to share or uh, what about this whole thing or some insight that you know. Who wants to do, uh, we have two generosity groups. So you want to start?
1: Sure, so kind of how we, how we found that.
0: Just some, some, so, something you feel like saying, Liz, about your group. Because everybody's going to go, so not too long. So. Okay, so in
1: looking at generosity as a form of renunciation, we came to the idea of it just being the letting go of greed, but also letting go of, I think, barriers that we create between
0: ourselves and others. Mm. There you go. One of many things that we discussed. One of many things. There's another generosity group back there.
1: Generosity
0: is renunciation because you are renouncing selfishness, greed, mm. self-interest, the outcome, mm. the control, mm. or having it the way you want, you're uh, renouncing impatience, stupidity, <laughs> There you go, Norma. Okay, where's the morality group? Where's the morality group? Go. Hey.
1: Well, we talked about morality, and and we kind of went further. We, as far as renunciation went, we talked about renouncing moment by moment um, things that would harm other people, and basically renouncing immorality, and that makes. So there's renunciation there. And then we talked also about it, um, about generosity and morality and about how when you do renounce that, it's a gift to yourself as well as to others because you feel so good about um, what you're
0: doing. What's your name? I forgot. Colleen. Colleen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, where is our wisdom group? Go. Loud, loud. The person who uh, discussed it most
1: clearly has laryngitis. (laughs) 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 Just be patient. There was wisdom in renouncing the sense of our own own mindsets, that our views of reality, our views of how things should be, is the truth. And and the difficulty with other people and family and friends (coughs) who... We first talked just about renouncing, you know, we got into the discussion about Lent, we could renounce, you know, meat, or we could renounce it, and all all those things seem quite easy, but the idea of renouncing our own judgments, our own sense of, we we really do know what's so.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, right. Who will I be if I don't have my view? (laughs) So, wisdom, energy, where is the energy group? There you go. Thank you very much, Energy Group.
1: We started by thinking it was very complicated, and we ended by agreeing that it was really quite simple, Mm -hmm. that right energy is being fully present, being in the present, and that to be fully present, I need to Mm -hmm. renounce anything that takes me away from that. It's the apple juice, the Mm -hmm. unfiltered
0: apple juice. Mm -hmm. I'm letting it filter. Thank you very much. Uh, energy, wisdom, energy, patience. Energy. Oh, you had another energy group so, there. You. Uh,
1: first of all, we thought we had the most difficult assignment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so easily. Uh, then, then we uh, saw it as requirement for renunciation. We, you had to have energy to go into any uh, agreement with yourself to do anything and to um, be in any of the right paths you have to have the energy for that so it's is the right energy, which is balanced energy, not magnetic
0: energy, centered energy. Mm-hmm. So actually it gives us the time to say as a group that we hope that you and Jenna have enough energy for this week for what you need to be doing. Yeah. May it be as suffering-free as it can be. Thanks for being here. So, we had that group, Norma's group here, group, 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 truthfulness, truthfulness. Oh, go ahead. Um, Terry. We kind of <laughs> went around a little bit, first thing came up was ego, you have to renounce the ego
1: to, mm-hmm. to really practice truthfulness and then we kind of looked at this idea of, it's just fear, it's fear of kind of abandonment, fear of. You have to let go of that fear of being alone, of actually
0: just being okay with being yourself, because that's where it seemed like a lot of the untruthfulness almost came up. Is Even in your example of not telling the person, the patient,
1: what was going on, <coughs> why wouldn't you do that? Well, it's because you're afraid that you can't handle the pain or you'll not be appreciated or up mm-hmm. So then it kind of came down to just fear of being abandoned. And mm. so you have to let go of that fear and go more into the fear of acceptance that whatever is true is true and acceptance. Mm-hmm. I think one other thing that also was kind of interesting is when we were talking about the second noble truth and how the truthfulness is what makes us, or not having the truthfulness brings up that greed and the delusion and the mm-hmm. other one. and if you can be truthful, maybe you wouldn't have any of that. So I don't know how that eliminates the second, or it doesn't eliminate it, but it makes it
0: mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Betsy. You know, that I love it that everything is is hidden in everything else. You know, We could have the one noble truth and the one paramita and the one-fold path. So how about that group in the back? Lynn, your group. You Are you the... Edie's going to speak. Okay. Well, our group is equanimity.
1: And we certainly, as, especially as we're listening to everyone else, we're all nodding and saying, well, you know, <coughs> it's exactly the same as all the other groups. And then perhaps the single um, quality is um, equanimity is the renunciation
0: of jumping into the future or being in the past, or the renunciation of not being present. Mm-hmm. But then within the, the renunciations, were also... Renouncing views that were right, renouncing
1: opinions, renouncing um, anxiety, greed, hatred, and delusion. So, really, we, we speak it with the same voice as all the other
0: ones. Mm-hmm. One big renounce. <laughs> so, who is the uh, Jocelyn? determination and determination is renunciation because it requires strength in order to renounce that which we decide to renounce Uh, at the same time uh, you know and to bring us back to focus on what we need to focus on at the same time we don't want to be too rigid about our determination and because that can lead to problems in itself and at the end we came to we also need to temper it with compassion so that when we do stray from our determination we can bring ourselves back with loving kindness, which I guess is what you were saying that is all comes back to the same thing. <laughs> uh, I hope so, otherwise my premise is shot. <laughs> okay, so who is the spokesperson here? Okay. We didn't plan who was gonna talk. And now I can't remember
1: anything we said because <laughs> essentially everything was to be, essentially all of, everything that everybody said, um, but everything, the greed needs to be, the attachment to outcome, um, hatred, all needs to be, renounced. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything <clears throat> you remember? Well, I, I felt, felt we said we had the easiest group because it's kind of a no-brainer. You look at each other and say loving kindness, and you know what? You have to renunciate. You have to renounce all the other things that aren't loving kindness. So we kind of looked and agreed, and then we kind of acted loving kindness. We aren't, some people practice more, some of us don't. We kind of talked among ourselves on how we live and how we try. And so I feel like we didn't have as much of a philosophical discussion about loving-kindness and what you renounce, we felt that was a given. Mm-hmm. And we kind of practiced loving-kindness. So, I also like to, yeah. I'd also like to add something. Um, loving-kindness being so heart-based, that, um, and here we are talking and using our brains, 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 and the brain has the ideas and the intellect is always moving. And the loving kindness just brings me, in particular, back into my body, which then makes me feel really connected to the web, you know, the web of life and all of the different weblets of life. And so somehow the um, you get to sort of renunciate yourself in a way and in your individuality mm-hmm. in
0: a way that's maybe... Mm-hmm. Actually, it is quite Buddhist, uh, Now, really, everybody is talking about it. Terry said you have to give up your ego. That really you know, it doesn't mean you give up being a person, and that people forget who you are, or that you forget who you are. But you get up, you, you give up that ego-driven need, which is, I think, what the Buddha talked about as being the clue to the end of suffering. That this, you know, the, and everybody said it one way or another. The ability to look and say, "This is what it is. It is or it isn't what I wanted, but it is what it is." And how can I be with that without needing it to be other? And I, I really think it's a very important thing to talk about, bringing it back in your body, and how do we live it? Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah. patience. Oh, patience! I'm sorry. I didn't have the patience. Oh, you see how to be able to <laughs> wait to <until> the end <laughs> <laughs> um, not being attached to control, not being attached to outcome. Um, I mean I can say now everything else everybody else. <laughs> That's very funny <laughs> <laughs> You were very patient about that
1: <laughs> I just when
0: I hear the the word renunciate inside me, there's a feeling of it sounds like. I have to do this, and I have to do that, and it feels like it's a do, so much of doing, and the piece that I would want to balance it with is acceptance mm-hmm. of when I don't, <clears throat> aren't, not able to mm-hmm. do it, mm-hmm. is uh, the non-doing that mm-hmm. allows for the doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important thing, because you can think about now r- mm-hmm. uh, but you know, as in Jocelyn said it, you know, when you make a mistake, or when you find yourself, not even going to make a mistake, when I find myself on the wrong path, say, hey, you don't want to be here. Don't do this. Let's do it that way. But you know, without, without a judgment, like, you know, I did that terribly. Say, whoops, I made that, you know, I turned one block too soon. I'll go back and go again. Um, you know, I also had one thought. Thank you very much for doing that. Thank you very much for staying a little past 11. I also take an idea from this last, group share, it said, you know, we stopped talking philosophically, and we started to talk to each other about what do we really do? So I thought to myself, next week, it's been on my mind, actually, uh, to talk about what do we really do in real life? Because people say, well, I practice a lot, or I don't practice a lot, or I never go on retreat, or I go, you know, that person, they did three three three-month retreats. What counts and what really transforms and I think now this may cause everybody to come or not to come next week, <laughs> but I really want us to talk to each other about what do you do mm-hmm. in your, what is your practice? You know And I want to tell you in advance that I, everything counts. It's like the parameters. You know So I have a very. It's not like, "Oh, I'm going to fail a test. I've never sat on a retreat. Mm-hmm. We are all here because we are all practicing. Conditioning the heart to to non greed, non hatred, and non delusion, and we are all doing it in different ways—probably sixty different ways—and I think it'll be very helpful for us to talk to each other, really, about what do you do? Do, do you, in fact, do have a daily practice? What is your daily practice? All of that stuff. So. This talk was given by Sylvio
1: Birsten at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on March 1, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.